it's Darcy from Confessions from the Dark Side and I am here for 13 Nights of Slaughter and I hope you have been enjoying each and every day's new and different and unique story that was read around the fireplace during Victorian England, well Victorian Britain I should say. So we are going to be reading The Signalman by Charles Dickens. Are we ready? This there's a disclaimer, I'm not sure if Charles Dickens actually would have used any sort of profanity so I'm just giving you a warning right now if you don't know anything about confessions from the dark side we we have a disclaimer that usually reads if you can't stand the heat then get the out of the kitchen so I'm going to say it for this I do not know type of words or vernacular that could be used so let's get to it The Signalman by Charles Dickens Hello below there when he heard a voice thus calling to him, he was standing at the door of his box, with a flag in his hand furled round its short pole. One would have thought, considering the nature of the ground, that he could not have doubted from what quarter the voice came, but instead of looking up to where I stood on the top of the steep cutting nearly over his head, he turned himself about and looked down the line. There was something remarkable in his manner of doing so, though I could not have said for my life what. But I know it was remarkable enough to attract my notice, even though his figure was foreshortened and shadowed. Down the deep trench and mine was high above him, so steeped in the glow of an angry sunset that I had shaded my eyes with my hand before I saw him at all. Hello below! From looking down the line, he turned himself about again and raising his eyes saw my figure high above him. Is there any path by any which I can come down and speak to you? He looked up at me without replying and I looked down at him without pressing him too soon with a repetition of my idle question. Just then I came a vague vibration in the earth and air, quickly changing into a violent pulsation and an oncoming rush that caused me to start back as though it had forced to draw me down. When such vapour as rose to my height from this rapid train had passed me and was skimming away over the landscape, I looked down again and saw him refurling the flag. He had shown while the train went by. I repeated my inquiry after a pause, during which he seemed to regard me with fixed attention. He motioned with his rolled up flag towards a point on my level with some two or three hundred yards distance. I called down to him, alright, and made for that point. There by dint of looking closely about me, I found a rough zigzag descending path notched out. The cutting was extremely deep and unusual. It was made through a clammy stone that became oozier and wetter as I went down. Why? For these reasons, I found the way long enough to give me time to recall a singular error of reluctance or compulsion, with which he pointed out the path, which I came down low enough upon the zigzag descent to see him again. I saw that he was standing between the rails on the way by which the train had lately passed, and an attitude as if he was waiting for me to appear. He had his left hand at his chin, and left elbow rested on his right hand crossed his breast. His attitude was one of such expectation and watchfulness that I stopped a moment wondering at it. I resumed my downward way and stepping out upon the level of the railroad and drawing nearer to him saw that he was a dark sallow man with a dark beard and a rather heavy eyebrows. His post was in a solitary and dismal a place as I ever saw. On either side a dripping wet all jagged stone excluding all view but a strip of sky, the perspective one way only a crooked prolongation of this great dungeon. Sounds like my sort of place. The shorter perspective in the other direction terminating in a gloomy red light and the gloomier entrance to a black tunnel, in whose massive architecture there was a, bar a barbarous, depressing, and forbidding air. Ooh, forbidden. 
so light sunlight. Eve ever found its way to this spot that it had an earthy deadly smell and such cold wind rushed through it that it struck chill to me as if I had left the natural world. Before he stirred I was near enough to him to have touched him not even then removing his eyes from mine he stepped back one step and lifted his hand. This was a lonesome post to occupy I said had riveted my attention when I looked down from upper yonder. A visitor was rarity. I should suppose not an unwelcome rarity, I hope. In me, he merely saw a man who had been shut up within narrow limits of his life, and who, being at last set free, had a newly awakened interest in these gatework. To such purpose I spoke to him, but I am far from sure of the terms I used, for, besides, that I am not happy in opening any conversation, there was something in the man that haunted me. He directed a most curious look towards the red light near the tunnel's mouth and looked all about it, as if something were missing from it, and then looked at me. The light was part of his charge, was it not? He answered in a low voice, don't you know it is? The monstrous thought came into my mind as I pursued the fixed eyes in this saturnine face. So this was a spirit, not a man. I've speculated since whether there may have been an infection in his mind. In my turn I stepped back, but in making the action I detected in his eyes some latent fear of me. This put the monstrous thought of to flight. You look at me, I said, forcing a smile, as if you had a dread of me. I was doubtful, he returned, whether I had seen you before. Where? He pointed to the red light he looked at. There, I said. Intently watchful of me, he replied, but without saying, yes. My good fellow, what should I do there? However, be that as it may. I never was there, you may swear. I think I may, he rejoined. Yes, I am sure, I may. His manner cleared like my own. He replied to my remarks with readiness and in well-chosen words, had he much to do there? Yes, that was to say he had had enough responsibility to bear, but the exactness and watchfulness where that was to was required of him and, an actual, and of actual work. Manual labour, he had next to none. To the change that signal to trim those lights and to turn this iron handle now and then was all I had to do under that head. Regarding those many long and lonely hours of which I seemed to make so much, he could only say that the routine of his life had shaped itself into that form and he had grown used to it. He had taught himself a language down there, if only to know it by sight and to have a form his own crude ideas of its pronunciation could be called learning it. He had also worked at fractions and decimals and tried a little algebra but he was and he had seen as a boy. A poor hand at figures was it necessary for him when on duty always to remain in that channel of damp air and could he never rise into the sunshine from between those high stone walls? Why? That depended upon the times and circumstances. Under some conditions there would be less upon the line than under others. And the same held good as to the certain hours of the day and night. In brighter weather he did choose occasions for getting a little above those lower shadows, but being at all times liable to be called by his electric bell and at such times listening for it when redoubled anxiety. The relief was less than I would suppose. He took me into his box where there was a fire, a desk, and an official book in which he had to make certain entries, a telegraphic instrument with its dial, face, and needles, and the bell of which he had spoken. On my trusting that he would excuse the remark that he had been well educated and I hoped I might say without offence, perhaps educated above that station, he observed that instances of slight incongruity in such wise would rarely be found wanting among large bodies of men. That he had heard it was so in workhouses and the police force, even in that last desperate resource, the army, and that he knew it was so more or less in that great railway staff. 
He had been when young, if I could believe it, sitting in that hut. He could scarcely, he scarcely could. A student of natural philosophy and attended lectures, but he had run wild, misused his opportunities, gone down, and never risen again. He had no complaint to offer about that. He had made his bed and he lay upon it. It was far too late to make another. It's never too late. All that I have have condensed, he said in a quieter manner, with this dark, grave dark regards divided between me and the fire. He threw in the word sir from time to time, and especially when he referred to his youth, as though to request me to understand that he claimed to be nothing but what I found him. He was several times interrupted by that little bell, and had to read off messages and send replies. Once he had to stand without the door and display a fag as a train passed, and make some verbal communications to the driver, and the discharge of his duties I observed to me to be remarkably exact and vigilant, breaking off the discourse at a syllable and remaining silent until what he had to do was done. In a word, I should have set this man down at one of the safest of men to be employed in that capacity, but for the circumstance that while he was speaking to me, he twice broke off with a falling colour, turned his face towards the little bell and when it did not ring, opened the door of the hut which was kept shut to exclude the unhealthy damp, and looked out towards the red light near the mouth of the tunnel. On both of those occasions, he came back to the fire with the inexplicable air upon him, which I had remarked, without being able to define when we were so far asunder. Said I... When I rose to leave, you must almost make me think that I have met with a contented man. I'm afraid I must acknowledge that I said it to him to lead him on. I believe I used to be so, he rejoined in the low voice in which he had at first spoken. But I am troubled, sir. I am troubled. He would have recalled the words if he could. He said he said them, however, and I took them up quickly. With what? What's your trouble? It's very difficult to impart, sir. It's very, very difficult to speak of. If you ever make me another visit, I will try to tell you. But I expressly intend to make you another visit. See when shall it be? I go off early in the morning and I shall be on again at 10 tomorrow night, sir. I will come at 11. He thanked me, went out at the door with me. I'll show my white light, sir, he said, in his peculiar low voice. Till you have found the way up. When you have found it, don't call out. And when you are at the top, don't call out. His manner seemed to be seemed to make the place colder to me, but I said no more than very well. And when you come down tomorrow night, don't call out. Let me ask you a parting question. What made you cry hello below there tonight? Heaven knows, I said. I cried something to that effect. Note that effect, sir. Those were the very words. I know them well. Admit those were the very words I said them, no doubt, because I saw you below. For no other reason? What other reason could I possibly have? You had no feeling that they would be conveyed to you in a supernatural way, no? He wished me good night and held up his light. I walked by the side of the down line of rails with a very disagreeable sensation of a train coming behind me until I found the path. It was easier to mount than to descend and I got back to the inn without any adventure. Punctual to my appointment, I placed my foot on the first notch of the zigzag next night as the distant clocks were striking eleven. He was waiting for me at the bottom with his light on. I have not called out, I said, when we came closer together. May I speak now? By all means, sir. Good night, then. And here's my hand. Good night, sir. And here's mine. With that, we walked side by side to his box, entered it, closed the door, and sat by the fire. 
I have made up my mind, sir. He began bending forward as soon as we were seated and speaking in a tone but a little above a whisper. That you shall not have to ask me twice. What troubles me? I took you for someone else yesterday evening. That troubles me? That mistake? No, that's someone else. Who is it? I don't know. Like me? I don't know. I never saw the face. The left arm is across the face and the right arm is waved, violently waved this way. I followed his action with my eyes and it was the action of an arm gesticulating with the utmost passion and venom. For God's sake, clear the way. One moonlight night, said the man. I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Halloa, below there. I started up, looked from that door and saw this. Someone else is standing by the red light near the tunnel waving just as I now showed you. The voice seemed hoarse when shouting. And it cried, look out, look out. And then again, halloa, below there, look out. I caught my lamp, turned it on red. and ran towards the figure calling, what's wrong? What has happened? Where? It just stood just outside the blackness of the tunnel. I advanced so close upon it that I wondered at keeping the sleeve across its eyes. I ran up to it and I had my hand stretched out to pull the sleeve away when it was gone. Into the tunnel, said I. No, I ran into the tunnel 500 yards. I stopped and I held my lamp above my head and saw the figures of the measured distance and saw the wet stain stealing down the wall and trickling through the arch. I ran out again faster than I had run in, for I had a mortal abhorrence of the place upon me. And I looked around the red light with my own red light and I went up the iron ladder to the gallery atop of it and I came down again and ran back here. I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? The answer came back both ways. Oh. Well, resisting the slow touch of a frozen finger tracing out my spine, I showed him how that this figure must be a deception of his sense of sight and how that figures originating in disease of the delicate nerves that minister to the function of the eye were known to have been often troubled by patients, some of whom had, had become unconscious of the nature of their affliction and had even proved it by experiments upon themselves. As to an imaginary cry, said I, do but listen for a moment to the wind in this unnatural valley while we speak so low and to, to the wild harp it makes to the telegraph wires. <laughs> that was all very well when I returned. Well, that was all very well when he returned. After we sat listening for a while, he ought to know something of the wind and the wires. He who so often passed long wintry nights alone there, what and watching. But he would beg to remark that he had not finished. I asked his pardon and he slowly added these words, touching my arm. Within six hours after their appearance, the, the memorable accident on this line happened. And within ten hours, the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel over the spot where the figure had stood. A disagreeable shudder crept over me, but I did my best against her. It was not to be denied, I rejoined, that this was a remarkable coincidence calculated deeply to impress his mind. But it was unquestionable that remarkable coincidences did continually occur, and they must be taken into account into dealing with such a subject. Though, to be sure, I must admit, I added, for I thought I saw that he was going to bring the objection to bear upon me, men of common sense did not allow much for coincidences and making the ordinary calculations of life. He again begged to remark that he had not finished. I again begged his pardon for being betrayed into interruptions. This, he said, again laying his hand upon my arm and glancing over his shoulder with hollow eyes, was just a year ago. Six or seven months had passed and I had recovered from the surprise and shock when one morning, as the day was breaking, I, standing at the door, looked towards the red light and saw the spectre again. He stopped with a fixed look at me. Did I cry out? No. It was silent. Did it wave its arm? No. It leaned against the shaft of the light 
with both hands before the face like this. Once more I followed his action with my eyes, it was an action of mourning. I have seen such an attitude in stone figures on tombs. Did you go up to it? I came in and sat partly to collect my thoughts, partly because it had turned me faint. When I went to the door again, daylight was above me and the ghost was gone. But nothing followed, nothing came of this. He touched me on the arm with his forefinger twice or thrice, giving me a ghastly nod each time. That very day, as a train came out of the tunnel, I noticed that a carriage window on my side what looked like a confusion of hands and heads and something waved. I saw in the time of the signal the driver stopped, he shut off and broke and put his brake on. But the train drifted past here 150 yards or more and I ran after it. As I went along, I heard terrible screams and cries. A beautiful young lady had died instantaneously in one of the compartments and was brought in here and laid down on the floor between us. Involuntarily, I pushed my chair back as I looked from the boards at which he pointed to himself. True, sir, true. Precisely as it happened, so I tell it to you, I could think of nothing to say to any purpose and my mouth was very dry. The wind and the wires took up the story with a long lamenting wail. He resumed, Now, sir, mark this and judge how my mind is troubled. The spectre came back a week ago ever since it had been there now and again by fits and starts. At the light? At the danger light? What does it seem to do? He repeated, if possible, with increased passion and venomous. That former gesticulation of, for God's sake, clear the way, then he went on. I have no peace or rest for it. It calls to me for many minutes together in an agonised manner. Below there, look out, look out. It stands waving to me. It rings my little bell. I caught at that. Did it ring your bell yesterday evening when I was here? And you went to the door? Twice. Why? See, said I, how your imagination misleads you. My eyes were not on the bell and my ears were open to the bell and if I am a living man, it did not ring at those times, no nor at any other time except when it was wrong in the natural course of physical things by the station communicating with you. He shook his head. I have never made a mistake as to that yet, sir. I have never confused the spectre's ring with the man's. The ghost's ring is a strange vibration in the bell that derives from nothing else, and I have not asserted that bell stirs to that. I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but I heard it. And did the spectre seem to be there when you looked at it? It was there. Both times? Repeated firmly. Both times. Will you come to the door with me and look for it now? He bit his underlip as though he were somewhat unwilling to arose. I opened the door and stood on the step. While he stood in the doorway, there was a danger light. A dismal mouth of the tunnel. And there, there were the high, wet stone walls of the cutting. There were the stars above them. Did you see it? I asked him, taking particular note of his face. His eyes were prominent and strained. But not very much so, perhaps, than my own had been when I had directed them earnestly towards the same spot. No, he answered. It's not there. Agreed, I said. We went in again, shut the door and resumed our seats. I was thinking how best to improve this advantage, if it might be called one. When he took up the conversation in such a matter-of-course way, so assuming that there could be no serious question of the fact between us that I felt myself placed in the weakest of positions. By this time you will fully understand, sir, he said, that what troubles me so dreadfully is the question. What does the spectre mean? I was not sure. I told him I, that I did fully understand. What is it warning against, he said ruminating with his eyes on the fire and only and only by times turning them on me what is the danger where is the danger the danger is overhanging somewhere on the line some dreadful calamity will happen it is not to be doubted the third time after what has gone before but surely this is a cruel haunting of me what can i do he pulled out his handkerchief and wiped the drops off from his heated forehead 
If I telegraph danger on either side of me or on both, I can give no reason for it he went on wiping the palms of his hand. I should get into trouble and do no and do no good. They would think I was mad. This is the way it would work. Message danger, take care, answer what danger where. Message don't know, but for God's sake take care. They would displace me. What else could they do? His pain of mind was most pitiful to see. It was the mental torture of a conscientious man. Oppressed beyond endurance by unintelligible responsibility involving light. When I first stood under the danger light, he went on putting his dark hair back from his head and drawing his hands outward across and across his temples in an extremity of feverish distress. Why not tell me where that accident was to happen if it must happen? Why not tell me how it could be averted if it could have been averted? When it's on the second coming, it's hid its face. Why not tell me instead? She's going to die. Let them keep her at home. If it came on those two occasions only to show me that it is a warning and they were true and so to prepare for the third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, Lord, help me. A mere poor signal man on this solitary station, why not go to someone with credit to be relieved and a power to act? When I saw him in this day, I saw that the poor man's sake as well as for his public safety, what I had to do for the time was to compose his mind. Therefore, setting aside all questions of reality or unreality between us, I represented to him that whoever thoroughly discharged his duty must do well and at least it was his comfort that he understood his duty though he did not understand these confounding appearances. In this effort I succeeded for far better than an attempt to reason with him out of his conviction. He became calm. The occupations incidental to his post as the night advance began to make larger demands on his attention and I left at two in the morning. I had offered to stay through the night but he would not hear of it. That I more than once looked back at the red light as I ascended the pathway that I did not like in the red light and that I should not have slept but poorly if my bed had been under it. I see no reason to conceal nor did I take the two sequences of the accident and the dead girl. I see no reason to conceal that either. But what ran most in my thoughts was the consideration of how I ought to act, having become the recipient of the disclosure. I had proved this demand to be intelligent, vigilant, painstaking and exact, but how long might he remain so in his state of mind? Though in a subordinate position, still he had a most important trust, and would I, for instance, like to stake my own life on the chances of his continuing to execute it with precision? Unable to overcome a feeling that there would be something treacherous in my communicating what he had told me to his superiors in the company without first being paid plain with himself and proposing a middle course to him, I ultimately resolved to offer a, to offer a company for him. Otherwise, keeping his secret to the present, for the present, to the wisest medical practitioner we could hear of though in those parts, and to take his opinion. A change in his time of duty would come round next night. He had apprised me, and he would be off an hour or two after sunrise and on again soon after the sunset. I had appointed to return accordingly. Next evening was a lovely evening and I walked out early to enjoy it. The sun was not yet quite down when I traversed the field path near the top of the deep cutting. I would extend my walk for an hour, I said to myself, half an hour on and half an hour back, and it would be then time to go on my signalman's box. Before pursuing my stroll, I stepped back to the brink and mechanically looked down from the point from which I had first seen him. I cannot describe the thrill that seized upon me when, close at the mouth of the tunnel, I saw the appearance of a man with his left sleeve across his eyes passionately waving his right arm. The nameless horror that oppressed me passed in a moment, for in a moment I saw that this appearance of a man was a man indeed, and that there was a group of other men standing a short distance, to whom he seemed to be rehearsing the gesture he made. The danger light was not on yet lighted. Again it shaft. 
a little low hut, entirely new to me, had been made of some wooden supports and tarpaulin. It looked no bigger than a bed. With an irresistible sense that something was wrong with the flashing self-reapproachful fear that fatal mischief had come of leaving the man there and causing no one to be sent to overlook or correct what he did, I descended the notched path with all the speed that I could make. What's the matter? I asked the men. Signalman killed this morning, sir. So a warning. Not the man belonging to the box. Yes, sir. Not the man I know. You will recognise him, sir, if you knew him, said the man who spoke for the other solemnly uncovering his own head and raising an end to the, tar the tarp for his face is quite composed. Oh, how did this happen? How did this happen? I asked, turning from one to another as the hut closed in again. He was cut down by an engine, sir. No man in England knew his work better, but somehow he was not clear of the outer rail. It was just a, a broad day he had struck the light and had the lamp in his hand. As the engine came out of the tunnel, his back was towards her and she cut him down. That man drove her and was showing how it happened. Show the gentleman, Tom. The man who wore a rough dark dress stepped back to his former place at the mouth of the tunnel. Coming round the curve in the tunnel, sir, he said, I saw him at the end like as if he was down a perspective glass. There was no time to check speed and I knew him to be very careful as he didn't take heed of the whistle. I shut it off and when we were running down upon him and called to him as loud as I could call, what did you say? I said, below there, look out, look out. For God's sake, clear the way. I started. Ah, it was a dreadful time, sir. I never left off calling to him. I put his arm before my eyes, not to see, and I waved this arm to the last, but it was no use. Without prolonging the narrative to dwell on anyone of its curious circumstances more than on any other I may, in closing it, put out the coincidence that the warning of the engine driver included not only the words which the unfortunate signal man had repeated to me as haunting him, but also the words which I myself, not he, had attached and that only in my own mind to the gesticulation he had imitated. Now that was The Signal Man and that was by Charles Dickens. How did you find that story? Did you enjoy it? Is like I have said in previous stories, the story the Victorian stories always have some sort of lesson or a warning and this was a warning, obviously a man down there doing that job and not really having any sort of Communications with the outside world really when he was at his work. He seems to have lived there and worked there and not really came to the surface very often. So his mind was playing tricks on him. He may have got a warning or he may have not even been hallucinating. But if he's not been going outside, you know, the auction's different and things like that. So therefore he may have hallucinated due to being sick or the fact that he was stuck down there doing that job. And... It's quite sad actually when you think about it that he did a job he loved, he was very very good at it and he ended up, his life was taken by his actual job. So I'm Darcy Darkness, this is Confessions from the Dark Side and this is 13 Nights of Slaughter. If you like any of these stories please like all these videos or these podcasts wherever you are listening to them and tell us if which one has been your favourite, what's been your favourite video or what has been your favourite story in the past 13 Nights of Slaughter slaughter and are you looking forward to the last one being live let us know in the comments below and have an awesome day and i'm darcy darkness and this is confessions from the dark side later